Amen. Sometimes, uh, some mornings, you almost wonder if we should just keep worshiping the whole time. Instead of, uh, but I know the power of the word and the preached word. We got We want to come to the scriptures, but it's good medicine for the soul to worship to. Remember who God is. Remember what He's done for us in Christ. He's mighty to save. We are starting a new sermon series today. I'm excited about that. It's six stories from the Old Testament that you should know um, and why they matter to us. So there's an outline in your bulletin if you'd like to see. Um, I'm I'm excited about this series because, Lord willing, it'll take us right up until I go to Israel in the beginning of July. So we're going to be looking at these six stories from different places in Israel. And then, Lord willing, I'll be walking. And a number of us, I think 16 of us, will be walking in those very places um, that we're going to be reading about here in the Old Testament. And I wonder, I don't know whether you're familiar with these stories. Uh, the, the six stories we chose are not necessarily the, the most familiar ones. Um, you know, there are certain ones that everyone knows, David and Goliath and so forth. But these are maybe a little less known. But if you grew up in the church and you went to Sunday school, they, they will sound familiar to you. Um, next week, uh, we're going to have a guest. Uh, well, he's a guest, but he's a member of our church. Mitch is going to preach on Exodus, uh, the, 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 uh, Moses striking the rock. Um, but this week, we're going to start right here in Genesis, Genesis 32, 22 to 32. Um, Jacob wrestles with God. How many people are familiar? How many familiar what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, a little about half or so. Okay, Jacob wrestling with God. And you may have a lot of questions even just from that title. What does he mean? He, how does he wrestle uh, with God? God. Genesis 32, uh, going from 22 to 32, we're going to be looking at. Uh, but because we live in a fallen and broken and sinful world, and we are limited creatures, we don't always see eye to eye with God. <laughs> we don't always see His perspective. We at times have to wrestle with Him. Wrestle with our own sin in relation to Him. Wrestle with our lack of knowledge of Him. A la- wrestle with our lack of, of seeing His perspective of eternity. Wrestle with why we lose someone we love or sickness or all these different issues we'll talk about a little later. And this idea of wrestling with God, Jacob physically, literally wrestles with God. We'll talk about that. Uh, But throughout history, Christians have wrestled with God. Um, And you can see that even going back to Augustine, uh, the famous uh, theologian, one of the earliest, most important theologians of the Christian church. Helped kind of clarify a lot of key issues for the church, but he wrestled with coming to faith. In fact, he knew the Christian faith. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew that he should become a Christian. And he said, Lord, make me chaste. Make me sexually pure. But not yet. That's what he said at one point. He he wanted to enjoy sin longer before he could come to faith. And he wrestled with God. Or I think of Martin Luther, another man who wrestled with God. Struggled with all the commands of Scripture and his inability to fulfill them. The holiness of God and his sinfulness. At one point, his mentor said to him, Don't you get it, Martin? It's so easy. All you have to do is love God. And Luther said those words, those piercing words. He said, Love God. I hate him. He was struggling with a holy God, how to deal. He eventually came to to faith and trust in the gospel of grace and sort of the whole of the Christian life opened up to him. Or John Calvin, another great theologian, he wrestled with God. He was called to go serve in a place in Geneva, Switzerland. And uh, hated, hated it there uh, for a lot of different reasons. He got exiled, got kicked out of there. And uh, felt like the, uh, people told him, God's calling you back to Geneva. Geneva wants you back. They need you back. He had a good friend tell him, 
Calvin, God is calling you back to Geneva. You need to go back for the service of Christianity in the world. You need to go back. And Calvin said, I would rather go to hell than go back to Geneva, Switzerland. He wrestled with it, but he eventually did actually go back. And it's not just these great big names. We wrestle with God at times, don't we? Don't we? I remember back in college, um, a time of struggling with some depression and some trying to understand God's will and, and wrestling with God, wrestling with my own sin, wrestling with who God is and what he's calling me to and other times in life. Now, God always wins. So, you know, you can see that right in the bulletin there. In this fallen world, we wrestle with God, who always wins. I want to make sure that's clear, and we're going to see it right clear here. But nevertheless, God patiently allows us to wrestle with him. Look with me. Genesis 32, 22 to 32. The same night, he, he is Jacob here, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed. Penuel, as he passed Penuel, excuse me, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. In this fallen world, we wrestle with God who always wins. Again, there's an outline in your bulletin if you want to see where we're going. But looking at 22 to 25, verses 22 to 25, God patiently allows us to wrestle with him. <laughs> he patiently allows us to wrestle with him. Uh, it says that same night, uh, he arose and he took his two wives. So polygamy was sort of tolerated in that culture. The Bible never commends it. Uh, never sees it as a good thing, but it was tolerated. And this time, this is way back you know, hundreds, centuries and centuries B.C. Um, he takes his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and he crosses the ford of the Jabbok. So one thing you need to understand about the context here is, uh, Jacob here is between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> um, he is literally running away from Laban, his father-in-law, um, who has deceived him and basically almost enslaved him. So he's running away with his family and all of his stuff. And in front of him, as he's heading away, is his brother Esau, who also hates him. So, and he knows he's coming in contact with Esau. He's on the run from one person, and he's coming in contact with another. He's between a rock and a hard place, and he goes and he knows that he's approaching his brother Esau, who's coming to him with hundreds of men, armed men, 
So what does that, what does that mean? What do you think that means? Jacob's thinking, it's over for me. So he takes all of his family and he puts them on one side of the stream, one side of the river. And actually the river's name is a little bit of play of words in Hebrew, if you know some Hebrew, uh, but it's Jabbok. In Hebrew, they usually, usually only have three consonants. Vowels came later. So J, B, K, uh, Jabbok, and his name is Jacob, J-K-B. So there's a little bit of a play on it. He puts everybody on one side of the river and all of his stuff. And notice what it says. He gets alone, verse 24. Isn't it interesting? He's, he's alone. It's, it's important at times like this, uh, when you wrestle with God, that, that you get alone uh, with nothing. Uh, Jesus did this. What was the first thing that happened in his ministry? Well, he was baptized. But right after that, he's alone for 40 days in the desert. Alone with his father. Alone with the tempter, Satan, by himself. We see this even in the, some of the desert monks would do this when the church was compromised because of all of its wealth. Back in the early days, some of the monks would go out into the desert and live by themselves with none, no possessions and they did that as a statement because they did realize that Christianity had become so watered down, so mixed up with political power and wealth. They needed to be an example to the church of getting alone with God. Here's Jacob alone. And not only does he not have his family, he had he'd become pretty wealthy at this point in time. Uh, he, he left his home with nothing. He served his father-in-law. Uh, now he has a big family. 11 sons, he's going to have 12 eventually, at least one daughter. Um, he's got plenty of sheep and goats and plenty of animals. He's a very wealthy man, but notice he leaves all of it behind on one side of the river. And here he's got nothing but perhaps the clothes on his back, alone with God. It's kind of like we've been looking at lately. Uh, we came, we brought nothing into this world, and we will take nothing out of it. <laughs> Where, what is Jacob when he has nothing? No family, no relationships, no possessions. Who is he? And he says here, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Who's this man? Uh, interesting that he's called a man, right? Uh, it makes me think of Johnny Cash's song there. When the man comes around, <laughs> right? Who's the man? He's the man wrestling with him. Actually, there's, there's all different views as to who this might be. Um, uh, we'll see, as you see later on, Jacob seems to see this as God himself, a theophany, a revelation of God. So obviously God is not a man, but God can reveal himself as a man, or as a burning bush, or as a pillar of fire, or as a king sitting on a throne, or anything he wants. He's God. There's no limits to what he does. But here he reveals himself as a man. Uh, others see this as an angel, and I think there's a good uh, uh, precedent for that in Hosea. Uh, chapter 12, 3 and 4, if we can come to that. Um, he's referred to there as an angel. So, uh, in the womb, this is the book of Hosea and the prophets, he took his brother by the heel. So Jacob grabbed Esau by the heel. We'll talk about that when we talk about his name. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. So is this an angel or is this God? And another third view would be that this is the angel of the Lord. Quote, unquote, angel of the Lord who appears periodically in the Old Testament. And a lot of people believe the angel of the Lord is a prefiguration of Christ himself. So I will leave that as a mystery for you guys. <laughs> who is this? Is this God? Is this an angel? Is this the angel of the Lord, a prefiguration of Christ? Uh, but nevertheless, Jacob wrestles throughout the night with this angel. Now, how can you wrestle 
with the omnipotent God. We, we said that God is all-powerful. I mean, there's no limit to him. Uh, how can he wrestle? Well, the answer is God lets him wrestle. Notice he says that when he, the man notices that he didn't prevail, uh, not that he couldn't prevail, <laughs> at any point in time he could win, but he didn't, that he kept up the fight throughout the entire night, that he was not willing to give up. That's when he ends it. And notice what the man does. Uh, when I say the man, that's referring to the guy he wrestles with here. When, what does he do at the end? He touches his hip. I like that. Doesn't punch his hip, doesn't strike it, doesn't kick it, doesn't do it. He just reaches out and gives him a little touch. And the fight's over. <laughs> just to remind him who really is God in this situation. In fact, he cripples him for life with one little touch. So he is in, the, in control. He's God. He's omnipotent. But he allows Jacob to wrestle back and forth with him. Why does he do that? Because he wants Jacob to know him better. And it's, it's, it's almost a parable, a symbol of what his whole life has been like. Wrestling back and forth with God. You know, when you wrestle with somebody, you get into it with them, you, you, you know that person. I, I, was, I did wrestling in middle school, you know, Greco-Roman wrestling. Not the fake stuff where you jump and pile drive people and that stuff. I mean, the real wrestling stuff, right? I remember, still I can see his, almost see his face, the kid who beat me <laughs> in a match. I mean, all these years later. I think that's why we see the rise of like MMA and UFC and all this stuff. There's two guys going at it, getting in, or two women going, in it, going at it with one another. You, you get to know somebody deeply. And God here allows Jacob into this wrestling match to know him more. That's what you do with a kid, right? I mean, if you're a parent, you, you let your kids win. Um, I got two kids. They have a son and a daughter. Uh, when I wrestled with my son when he was really young, I mean, it was pretty easy to beat him and pin him. But I, I let him, you know, get a hold of me and, and uh, try, to, try to pin me and all that. And you go back and forth. You don't just beat him down. You, you, you toughen him up a little bit. You push him back a little bit. And then you give him a little bit of leeway. Uh, but, of course, now he's 16. Uh, he uh, takes Muay Thai boxing, and uh, he's a co-captain of his soccer team. So it's a little harder to, to, to make sure I get the upper hand in his wrestling. I still do, though. I still do. But it's a little harder now. What do you, why do you do that? You're teaching him. You're toughening him up. You're getting him to know him better, and he's getting to know you more. God allows us to wrestle with him. Now, what does it mean to wrestle with God? I mean, most likely you're not physically wrestling with God but we do wrestle with God spiritually. We do wrestle with Him theologically, for example. We struggle with maybe some of the issues of the Christian faith. Uh, the sovereignty of God versus our free will. How much freedom do we really have to make our decisions? How much is God really in control already of the present and the past and the future? We wrestle with the exclusivity of the gospel, maybe. That Christ is the only way. But I know such great neighbors who are such good people and they don't believe in Jesus. And how could he be the only way? How could all of these other religions in the world have missed it? We wrestle with the problem of evil. How, how, can, how can a loving and all-powerful God allow so much suffering? How can he allow this, this mother of this 20-year-old to grieve her son being shot? How does, how, how, do, how does this come together? How, how can God be still in control and powerful and sovereign and yet still good even though we wrestle with God? Or we wrestle with God more practically and not just theologically. Lord, why do I have to struggle with this sickness? Why couldn't I, why couldn't I not have to deal with this? Why couldn't someone else have to deal Why do I have to be the one who has to deal with this cancer or heart disease or chronic 
pain. Why do I have to grieve the loss of a child or a best friend or a parent, a young, young parent? We wrestle with God. And God patiently allows us to do so. In fact, I would say, friends, if, you're not, if you've never wrestled with God, it may be because you're grown apathetic to who God is. Uh, like I said, you, you, wrestling kind of trains you, teaches you. And when you go to the gym, if you get a workout in and you're not able to, you're not feeling a little sore, a little pain afterwards, it's you probably didn't make any gains in the gym. There has to be a little bit of a back and forth. And hopefully through it all, you're getting to know God more as you wrestle with this. Maybe you have grown lazy in your thinking. You're apathetic towards God and towards who he is. And therefore, you don't wrestle. Wrestling may be a sign that you're coming to know him all the more. God uses this wrestling to bless his people. 26 to 29. He uses it to bless his people. Look what happens in 26. Then he said, uh, this is the man, let me go for the day is broken. So they have wrestled through the night. <laughs> That's a long wrestling match. I mean, if you ever wrestle with somebody 20 minutes and you're tired, right? I mean, this is eight hours, whatever it's been, through the entire night they've been wrestling. And finally, the man says, let me go, for the day is broken. And J- Jacob says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Which shows you that Jacob knows this is not just some guy that happened to be wandering that he's been wrestling with. Uh, this is a divine encounter. Otherwise, why would he ask for a blessing from this man? Uh, He says to the man, bless me, and then I'll let you go. And the man says, interestingly enough, what is your name? Which is a strange question, right? They've been wrestling for eight hours, let's say. Uh, It's the morning time, he wants to let go, and now he asks him, what's your name? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. Now, the interesting thing about that is the name Jacob means the one who grasps the heel. Uh, When Jacob was born, he was a twin. Uh, He came out second. And he came out holding his brother's heel out of the womb. Uh, so he was the grasper of the heel, which is kind of like an f- idiom, you know, a phrase that we use, uh, that we might use today. But back then, that means the deceiver, the trickster, <laughs> the grasper of the heel. In fact, his whole life has been kind of as a trickster. Uh, he, anyone that knows the, the, the whole story, he kind of tricked his father into thinking he was his older brother so he could get his father's blessing. And he tricked his brother into leaving before his brother could take revenge. And then when he gets out there to Laban, he tricks Laban to get more, more of the flock as he's taking care of the flock. Of course, he meets his match with his father-in-law because his father-in-law is more of a trickster than him. But he eventually runs away before his father could do anything. His whole life has been sort of as a deceiver, as a trickster. And here the man says, what's your name? Your name's Jacob. But now it's going to be Israel which means the wrestler of God. Which is a big difference, isn't it? You're no longer the deceiver, the trickster. It's enough of your trickery. You're thinking your blessing is coming because of your shrewdness and craftiness. No, Jacob, you're the one who wrestles with me. You've striven with God and with man and have prevailed. What a better name (laughs) than Jacob to be called the wrestler. Think about it. Wrestling is a... I mean, if you're, we don't think highly of tricksters. You know, what are tricksters? They're, they're the people that deceive everyone around them. They're the, the rat, the traitor. You know, Benedict Arnold, Judas. I mean, these aren't heroes of our culture. These are, these are tricksters. We think highly of wrestlers, though, don't we? Uh, like judo, judo champion. We have a picture of a judo match going on there. I mean, what a better, what a better thing to be known by. You're no longer the trickster Jacob... 
your wrestle. Now stand up to be who you're um, calling you to be, and then I'll bless you. Uh, it's also important to understand that the person who names somebody is the one in authority. Uh, you name your kids, those are your parents here, uh, because you're in charge of them. Uh, you don't name other people's kids, you name your kids, right? Uh, you name your pet. Uh, in fact, in the Garden of Eden, Adam had uh, only a couple jobs. Um, he failed in, in at least one of them. One of them was not to, not to eat from the, the fruit of the tree, uh, but another job was to name the animals. Um, why do that? Because you have a dominion, an authority, a stewardship over taking care of these animals. Uh, when you name something, you show that you have sort of have a, a category for that animal. It's, it's under your authority. You've tamed it. For example, if I said to you I was walking one day in this gigantic, huge creature, this beast with gigantic ears and this huge, long nose and huge tree-like legs came charging at me with a little tail in the back and it was massive and it made this noise that just shook the woods. That's not the same as saying, I saw an elephant the other day. <laughs> we've given something a name, we've, we've put it under us, we've, we've tamed it. That's why when Jacob goes back to God and says to God, what's your name? Or to the man, the man doesn't give him a name. Because we don't name God. <laughs> we, he's not under our authority. We don't categorize him like a science project. In fact, there is no name for God. Uh, we call him God. God is not a name. Uh, we put a capital G with it, but God is a title for who he is. He is the deity, the one and only creator and deity of this world. The closest thing we get in Scripture to a name for God is the name Yahweh, which is incorrectly translated as Jehovah, by the way. Uh, that's when you try to Latinize it, it was called Jehovah. But the name Yahweh, uh, which really just means the one who is. That's what Yahweh means. Not the one who was, not the one who will be, the one who always is. It's not really a name so much as it is a description of the one who is. We don't name God, but God names us. It's another way of God, of the man, reminding Jacob here who's the one who's truly in charge, even as he wrestles with him. And again, the same thing with blessing. The, the, the Hebrews tells us the greater always blesses the lesser, not the lesser blessing the greater. So he's seeking the blessing of the man, and the man eventually gives it to him. What does it mean to be blessed? Uh, what, is that, what is that all about? I mean, to be, blessed, to be blessed is to have the favor of someone. So when we're blessed by God, it's to have his favor. It's to be given joy. Uh, it's to be given um, uh, happiness. Uh, it's to be given his favor upon us. God gives us this. We flourish with this happiness. And Jacob gets this through the wrestling with God. We also get a blessing when it comes to wrestling with God. I think the first and the greatest blessing is the blessing of the gospel itself. Uh, so when you wrestle with faith itself, do I, do I trust Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior? Is He King and Lord of my life? Am I going to follow Him? And maybe you're here and you're in that position. You're a seeker and you're not sure what you believe. And you, haven't, you know the gospel. You've heard about the message of Christ. He came. He died on the cross in our place. He's risen from the dead. Uh, but you're not sure whether you want to believe in Him. This is the first wrestling match. Is He going to be your Savior and as your Lord? And to wrestle with him in that and to come to faith in, with him, uh, faith in him is to receive that greatest of blessings, the blessing of life, of eternal life in him. The blessing of redemption, forgiveness for your sin, and the blessings of adoption, of reconciliation. The blessings of knowing that an eternal God will carry his people into eternity with him and will never leave or forsake us. That's the greatest blessing. 
But there are plenty of other blessings for those here who already follow Christ. There's the blessings that come with obedience. And they are numerous. The scripture talks about them all over the place. When we do what God calls us to do, when we follow him, there are certain blessings, happiness, joy, favor that comes with flourishing that comes with following him. I've been doing a lot of uh, reading with, uh, of Dave Ramsey lately because we were at our stewardship time in our church just recently. Um, and uh, I, it's been great to read with some of the stuff he says. And he makes some great points. He says, look, if you follow the biblical principles in Scripture for finances, stay out of debt, give generously to honor God, save up for the future, don't overspend, <laughs> live within your means. He calls it God's and grandma's way of living, uh, which I think is wise. If you do that, there are certain blessings that will likely come from that. You will likely do well in the future. You will likely flourish. That's just obedience to what the scripture says. Proverbs tells it all the time. If you follow his will and you follow his word, there are blessings that come with obedience. Look to those blessings. And friends, there are blessings that come with pain. Through this difficult match, this long wrestling match, he gets blessed. And in a sense, the wrestling match itself is the blessing, Right? Uh, I mean, how many people can say, I've come face to face with God. I've spent the night with him, wrestling with him, and had him say to me, I bless you, and rename me. <laughs> uh, he, through our own pain and suffering, comes our greatest blessings, and this is a hard truth of the Christian faith. Uh, anyone who's walked with the Lord for a good length of time will tell you. Uh, they look back in their life and see not the most easygoing, fun, peaches and cream days, but they look back at those hardest times And that's where they see the presence of God and His hand of mercy carrying us through them. Times of darkness, times of loss, times of dealing with the mystery of our illnesses. Now, I've said this, for some reason, this is the season for a lot of sickness and illness and injury in our church. Um, All my years, I've been the lead pastor for eight years. I've never seen such an intense time of just physical suffering and difficulty in our church. Um, By God's grace, we have been praying um, and asking for the Lord's mercy. And many of the people who have been going through it are coming out on the other end. And by God's grace, they're coming out doing really well. And we're thankful for that. And we're going to keep praying because there are others who are also suffering in all different types of ways. We see God working through those difficult times of wrestling with him when he takes us and gets us alone in the night and we meet with him. God uses this wrestling to show us himself. Verses 30 to 32. He uses this wrestling to show us himself. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. And again, if you know some basic Hebrew, Pene means uh, face. And El is just the common word for God, the face of God. A pretty basic name for the place where he has just encountered God. Saying, for I have seen God face to face. Uh, So he believes that this angel, this man, this being, is in a sense a theophany, a revelation of God himself in some way. Because he says, I've met with God face to face, and yet my life is delivered. Uh, Basic, easy principle. If you're seeing God, you're probably dead. Right? All right, that's, that's the truth in Scripture. I mean, you don't usually see God unless you're dead. And he's saying, I've seen God, I've met with God, I've wrestled with God, and I've been delivered. I'm still alive. And I love verse 31. Uh, Alistair Begg, one preacher, says, you can almost see a painting in verse 31. <laughs> it's almost a mural right here. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. As the sun is rising for a new day, 
He's getting ready to meet his brother Esau. And here's Jacob limping as he is meeting, as he's come out of his time with God. I notice that he has a limp, uh, something that will forever remind him of this event. In fact, it's not only his life and within his own life that he'll remember this. Look at verse 32. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel. Now, to this day means as of the writing of this. So today, I don't believe, I didn't, from what I read, uh, modern uh, Jewish people still hold to this. But at least as of the writing of the book of Genesis. Uh, Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket. Uh, they remember this wrestling match with Jacob, uh, Jacob between, and this, this man by commemorating it, by not eating that part of an animal. In fact, interestingly enough, the very name of God's people for hundreds of years, indeed thousands of years now, is named because of this very event. Forever and forward, God's people were named the wrestlers of God. The ones who strive with God. And it, friends, if you know your Bible, you know that's the story of the Bible, isn't it? It's, it's us as God's people, Israel in the Old Testament, wrestling with God. Sometimes obeying Him and being blessed. And sometimes disobeying Him and rebelling and struggling to obey Him. And finding themselves under God's judgment and exiled into the nations. Only to be restored again and facing different obstacles. It's a constant match between God's people and God both individually and together as the church today, even we face the same wrestling match with God. This is a good use of tradition. <laughs> now, there are bad uses of tradition. When tradition becomes our idol, when we love tradition for tradition's sake, and that happens very easy with tradition, uh, then it becomes a bad thing. Uh, you've taken something that was meant originally maybe for something good, um, and you've turned it into something as an, an idol in and of itself. Well, that's the way it's supposed to be because we've always done it that way. That's, that is not a biblical principle. That's a I want my way principle. That's what that is. But here's a good use of tradition where they're using this commemoration of what they eat to remember this match. To remember this wrestling of Jacob with God. And how through it all, he eventually submits to God and comes out blessed. You can imagine every kid asking why don't we eat this part of the animal? Well, let me tell you a story. <laughs> and the parents retell the story to their kids. This is what happened, and this is how they, we, we came out of it. Friends, notice this is a turning point. This is a turning point for Jacob in his life. Uh, and if you read through the book of Genesis, which we don't have time to do today, you'll see it. You'll see the difference. Uh, he came into this as the deceiver. He came to this as a trickster. And he comes out of this as a man who has been humbled who's recognized his limitations, who forever walks with a limp, but a man who knows God and has met with him face to face. Friends, the real question for us is, do you know God more? That's the real question, right? He's he's saying, I've met with God now. I know him more through this. If I forever walk with this limp, then I... Is well worth it because now I've met with God and know Him more. I mean, do you know God more now than you did a year ago? Just think of your own life. Uh, I mean, are, are you in the same place? Have you grown stagnant? Maybe you've even backslidden. You know it. I've kind of walked away from God. There was a time when I was really pursuing Him, knowing Him more, and re- reminded of His grace regularly, coming to church and coming to be with His people. But I've started to backslide. I'm, I'm not growing more. 
Sometimes you need these turning points, these times that you look back to and remember and think about. This was a time in my life where God used this to break me and to remind me of his presence and of his goodness. We don't forget that. Come back to it again and again. As I hope that's true of us as a church. I hope we're going, coming to know God more. Uh, if, if we're not knowing God more, people aren't coming to know God more deeply. Um, and as I said, when we meet, it's not about knowledge. It's not just about me as a teacher and, you, and we're all students. It's about really encountering God and worshiping in His Word. If we're not meeting with God and knowing Him more, I'm not sure what we're doing <laughs> here on Sunday mornings. The whole point is that you should be coming into a deeper relationship with Him. Even if that means you walk with a limp. A reminder of your humility. A reminder of the fact that God is sovereign and that we're not long for this world, but we have eternity that awaits. Friends, in this fallen world, we wrestle with God. We wrestle with Him. Again, we're limited. We're broken. We're sinful. Uh, We don't get God all the time. We don't understand God all the time. We don't understand His will all the time. We have to go through these struggles with our own flesh or with uh, trying to understand Him and His Word. And through that wrestling, friends, we come to know him more. Uh, In this fallen world, we wrestle with God, who always wins. (laughs) Keep that in mind. Uh, Whenever you wrestle with God, he will always come out the victor. Uh, Now, that may mean that you will come out of a wrestling match and say, God, I don't want anything more to do with you. I'm tired of this, and I don't believe that you would... You're working towards my benefit and towards my good. And you walk away from him. And ultimately, I would say, God still wins in the end because he's the judge of all the earth. But I hope that's not your story. And I'm praying and I trust that's not your story. That when we wrestle with God, we come out knowing him more. Trusting him more. Recognizing that he is with us through the wrestling match and blesses us through it. In the end, he wins. Because he brings a people to himself. Closer to himself. Would you pray with me? Well, our gracious God, we thank you so much for the scriptures. I do find it so amazing, Lord, that we're reading a five, six thousand year old story. Whatever it is. Um, and we can see the relevance for us here today. Lord, we can read the newspaper from a month ago and it's completely useless. But we can read the Bible from 6,000 years ago and have it relate directly to our lives right here and right now. Because your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart in Hebrews 12. Lord, help us then to hear from your word, Lord. And if we're going through one of these things, we're wrestling with you. Maybe we're wrestling with a sickness and an ailment, Lord, as many in our church are right now. We're struggling, Lord, Lord with, uh, with needing your help through it to persevere and wondering when and if the healing will come in this life or maybe in the next. And help us, Lord, to persevere with our eyes looking to you, trusting that you're good, that you're in control, but you're also good that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Help us, Lord, to, like Jacob, come out of those wrestling matches, maybe limping, recognizing our weakness and our inability, but knowing you more. And Lord, help us to look with hope to that day in which we will meet with you face to face 
the day that we will pass on from this world or the day of Christ's return. And Lord, we look forward to that day with eager anticipation and we will be with you forever, fully healed with no more wrestling. Because then, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, even as we see only partly now, then we will see fully. And we will know more, even as he will know you even as we are fully known. So Lord, hasten that day of your return. Help us to be faithful and about the great commission until that day of Christ's return. And help us, Lord, to use this day, these days, all the days you give us in this life, to be faithfully in your service to know and love you more. We thank you. We praise you. We ask all this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.